Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Mayfair Theater Podcast. I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. It is, what's the day? Thursday, June, June 2nd. 2nd. Preparing for the June 3rd to 9th week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm busy this week setting up dinosaurs at a museum. Yeah, real, <laughs> real dinosaurs. It's super fun. And I got scratched by one, so I think I'm going to get powers now. Oh, really? If I've learned one thing from Marvel Comics, it's that uh, <laughs> I'm going to get some powers. You're going to turn into Dino Man. And it's funny, I'm working with folks from Minnesota, and by wild coincidence, I'm going to Minnesota at the end of the month to go see the big uh, Mystery Science Theater reunion show. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I was... So, those shows, Rift Tracks, I don't know, three times a year or so, will do um, a show that gets simulcast. And I've been trying to get it for the Mayfair for a couple years. Yeah. Especially because... You know, not to name names, but a certain multiplex hasn't picked it up the last couple times. Okay. I believe it was around Christmas time. They they just passed on it. So my thought process was like, okay, well, if if they pass on it, can we have it? And we can't. And oh, that sucks. So I was complaining about that again for their, their reunion special. And I even emailed them and, and, and somebody got back to me and was like, oh, we're sorry, we're going to try. But, and I said, even if you would give us like the encore, if you could, you know, we'll play a DCP like three or four days later, I'm sure people would come out to the Mayfair to see that kind of thing. Um, so that wasn't working out. And so my wife, Gwen, just said, we could just go to that. I'll be done my contract by then. And I'm like, oh my God, we can go to that. What, what movie are they doing? I don't even know. I don't think they've announced it yet. Uh, the, the kind of the... I don't know if it's a specific anniversary they're celebrating, but the big the gimmick of the show is not only is it riff tracks, but also um, the new guy is, is going to be there. So jo- Jonah Ray is going to be there. Right. J- Joel is right. going to be there. Uh, the mad scientists are going to be there. Um, everybody's going to be there. So, and I've never been to Minnesota, uh, but it seems like a really cool city. And mm-hmm. So I'm getting to chat with some folks, and they're telling me where to go. We're going to go to the Prince. Um, Oh, what's the name of the theater? It's, it's in Purple Rain. Uh, there's a theater where he performs in for the whole show, and so we're going to go see a band there and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, so that's what, that's what I've been doing with my days, and it's been distracting me from coming to see movies. So right. I've, I've missed a couple things. But uh, next week is awesome. There's like, I want to see everything we're screening. Uh, and the one thing we're bringing back is uh, Sing Street, which is great. Have you seen that yet? No, no. It's so good. It's... Uh, the, the director's niched out a little corner of the filmmaking world where he does, not musicals, I guess just music movies, movies with a music theme to them. Mm-hmm. So Once, Begin Again, and now this. And I mm-hmm. think that's his three movies. I think that's his three yep. that he's done. Yep. But Sing Street's just, it's one of those movies that on, on paper it might just seem kind of average, like, oh, it's a high school band movie. But the characters are really great, and the music's great, and it's funny, and it's very 1980s, and it's romantic. Uh, yeah, really, and a real crowd pleaser. A- anytime in this day and age when people clap at the end of a movie, most people don't. Most people are like, as soon as the credits start rolling, even if they like the movie, they're done. Mm-hmm. They get out. But people clapped when I came to see this last week. and So we're holding that one over. Highly recommended. Come to see Sing Street. Um, and then we have five new movies. The one I'm... I'm I'm going to miss one on Friday night, and I'm sad because I really want to see it. 
Uh, I will be busy helping out my roller derby friends uh, have a match on Friday night. But uh, we have another one of our kind of lost... I guess you can't even call it a cult classic because there's Not no really. cult around Not it. Not yet, yet, anyway. Yeah, but The Astrologer. Mm-hmm. And... Wait, have you, you haven't seen this one yet, No. Right? No. No, we're just doing the one screening of it. Yeah. Because I remembered you had seen Dangerous Men mm-hmm. before we screened that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Someone was just talking to me about... I guess there's a show on one of the movie channels, or one of the channels, one of the billion channels, and it's all about this kind of film. And they've done one on Miami Connection, and they've done one on, I think, Neil Breen, maybe. Okay. So I got to find this show. It seems like something that Mayfair fans would like. And it's all about just that kind of cult of, of movies so good they're bad. And the filmmakers behind them that usually don't get that their movies are so bad. <laughs> but this one's from 40 years ago. So I don't know if the filmmaker's still around for The Astrologer. Uh, there, he might be dead. Yeah. <laughs> but he might, he might have also faked his death. Because apparently one of the actors in the film came out of the woodwork and said... Oh, he said he died, or he said he died. Yeah. Uh, his sister said he died. Yeah. But apparently this guy was sort of, he came from a wealthy family, and that's how he financed the film, but he apparently ripped a lot of people off. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and he was a bit of a con man, like in the film. Yeah. So he thinks it's pretty dubious that, like, oh, he just up and died. That's funny. But he doesn't, I don't know. Uh, so he might still be around somewhere. <laughs> faked his own death. Which uh, makes this a, you know... Pretty interesting backstory for this weird movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, hopefully the first of many from this group that... Uh, do you remember the name? I just forgot the name. Draft House? Yeah, Draft House and the people who put on the Kickstarter thing. Oh, us. yeah. Well, that uh, they have this organization called the American Genre Film Archive, which is their way of preserving these old exploitation yeah, films. Yeah, And this, is, this was like their pet project. This was the main movie that they wanted to restore. I love the idea of just finding these old, weird treasures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an audience for it, because especially now, it's, it's weird, because movie theaters have been through such like a, a, a dangerous time the last few years, uh, and people always point the blame at, oh, you know, VHS is going to kill movies, Netflix is going to kill movies, whatever's going to kill movies. But the biggest thing now is just the, the, you know, digital, just so many theaters couldn't afford it. But theaters like ours that, have hung in there and are still around that I think that's what they're making these for. Like, mm-hmm. and whether, and like we just screened Belladonna of sadness and didn't yeah. fairly well with it. Yeah. That that's from a small company called Sinalicious. Yeah. And they did that movie. And then another movie called, um, private property with Warren Oates, this old black and white home invasion kind of thriller. And, uh, yeah, they're new and they're finding these old rare, yeah. Movies that a lot of people haven't heard of and restoring them. And and that's what always amazes me about about cinema geek culture is that, you know, you and I, like we, we, we're big movie geeks and there's stuff coming out that we've never heard of. Or these, these lost weird things coming out. There's always stuff coming out that I'm just like, I've never heard of that. And so hopefully the astrologer does well in its in its tour out there. Yeah. It just played in Toronto like a few weeks ago and at, uh, I think, at the Royal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it might be on a bit of a, a tour. Yeah, I want, and, and yeah, I want more. I want, I'm sad if you yeah. missed this one, but I want... I want, I want <laughs> oh, there's lots more. There's lots more of these weird, um, unknown 
films from the 70s that didn't really get much of a release and they're super bizarre. Yeah. And a lot of them are kind of lost lost in distribution yeah, yeah. limbo. Yeah, movies waiting to be rescued. Yeah, and that's the good thing about the good thing about this digital age is that like pretend we lived in a world where digital cinema never happened a couple of years ago. I don't know if a company like this would have been able to afford to strike a bunch of 35 millimeter prints and send them out to the world. Mm -hmm. But in this case... Well, they did that with... uh, Well, no, with Miami Connection and with this film, it's like I think they just have this one print that they found and then they made DCPs out of them. And, um, I mean, that's what The Astrologer is. It's going to be presented on a 2K DCP from this print that they found. Because I don't think they want to loan the print out. No. (laughs) You know, in case something happens to it. So they digitally uh, scanned it. That's so stressful to have one that one yeah, yeah. one thing, and especially like we we've screened movies here before. I remember we screened, what was it like a sixteen millimeter print of some some Andy Warhol weird movie, mm-hmm. and it barely made it through. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember Matthew was our projectionist at the time, and he was just holding that thing together. Yeah, like, you you could see it like physically. Oh, was that when we watched um. Uh, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember that, yeah. You could see it, like, shaking on screen. Yeah, I've seen a lot of prints like that that are just barely holding together. And then there was, there has been a few times, like, pretty big movies. I think one was Annie Hall. I think one was Ferris Bueller. Mm -hmm. Uh, One was Die Hard, I know for sure, where the projectionists were just like, yeah, that's the last time that goes through, probably. Mm -hmm. Because it was just... Such a shame. Yeah, because it just, it was so beat up. And, you know... Ferris Bueller and Die Hard aren't, like, movies from the 30s. Like, they're old, but they're not that old. Yeah, they're, they're well, they've just been played so many times. And not kind of taken care of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like lending a lending a book you want to keep in nice condition to somebody, and they give it back to you, and it's all dog-eared and ripped. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times it's, like, some 14-year-old kid at a multiplex <laughs> doesn't know what they're doing and kind of beats the nerdy <laughs> the nerdy kid from uh, the Simpsons yeah. the squeaky voice team from the Simpsons running the projector yeah. and uh, so yeah so it's it's cool that these old movies are finding finding new life and 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 some people are like why why watch a movie so bad it's good but it is weird but there's something about it like I I really enjoyed the experience of watching Dangerous Men yeah yeah and it's a real backhanded compliment because it's like <laughs> I did I don't think the movie's good but. It was, it's entertaining, or, yeah. you know, and that's the point. And, and these, these films were made to be seen with an audience. Yeah, and even back in the day when they were made, like, the, the people making them didn't think they were going to win an Oscar or anything. It was real, like, like the term grindhouse. Like, they were really just grinding them out mm-hmm. there. And, you know, they were making four movies a month or, you know, shooting yeah. a movie in a week and using what they had. And, and that, that drive-in culture of just having these low-budget Roger Corman kind of things out there. And and not many of them were good, per se, but they sure had a legacy. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so that's coming up uh, on Friday night at 9 o'clock, Friday, June 3rd. Mm-hmm. And keep an eye out, because maybe if it does well, it'll be back, or there will be other movies of their their genre coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's at 9 o'clock, so it's not even... Hopefully, maybe that it's at 9 o'clock will even draw in a few more people if uh, midnight shows are past their bedtime, yeah. as, as they are for myself. <laughs> um, so the other, another movie I have coming up this week is Green Room. Yeah. With Patrick Stewart. Uh, I really want, I've heard nothing but good things about this movie. You yeah. saw this one. Yeah, it's pretty intense. 
if you liked it's from the maker of Blue Ruin. If you like Blue Ruin, you got to check this one out. And it's and even in in our our laid back Canadian rating system, this one is rated eighteen A. Mm-hmm. It's quite gory, especially in Canada. Like you you have to be <laughs> not be messing around to get an eighteen A. Yeah, because, that's true. Because almost everything, we're a bump down from the states usually. So it's like. If it's if it's PG in the states, it's family here. If it, like yeah, etc. So yeah, so for this to get an eighteen A means that yeah, there it's a serious thriller, not a horror film, but a scary. No, it's film. kind of a horror film. Is it a horror film? Kind of. I I, li- I listened to a podcast. Not not a supernatural horror. Film, right, but you know. yeah, um, yeah. I listened to. A pod- you can look at it as a horror film for sure. Well, even just the poster scary. Just with the yeah. one, the one, the one we or the one I used to put our, our little brand on was just one of just Patrick Stewart's head in like a quote from the movie. Yeah, and just that's creepy. So, yeah. the I, I was listening to a podcast and and Patrick Stewart said that, you know, he gets tons of scripts and he reads through some and gets ten pages in and tosses it away, but he got green room and was like laying on his couch reading it, and it was so freaking him out that it was kind of one of those, those things that. That illogically, like if you're home alone and, and, you know, scared of the dark, like he went around and locked the front door and kind of just made sure. Yeah, yeah. His story about reading the script is quite, you know, it, you know, gives you an idea of what you're in for, for sure. And it's, it's. And he's fantastic in the film. Oh, yeah. Really understated, like really, you know, he's the villain, but his character is a guy who he doesn't really want to be seen too much. He's really wants to be under the radar and. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good villain performance. Well, especially for, like, I, I so appreciate this day and age we're in because it seems that actors are having a bit of an easier time against typecasting, where back when I was a kid, like, you know, it, like, especially like an action star, like Schwarzenegger was always Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. and I it was, it was guys kind of like Bruce Willis or Bill Murray that kind of started it, I think, where... They would take supporting roles. They would take cameos. Yeah. They would take ensemble pieces. They didn't care about being front and center. Yeah. And so Patrick Stewart had, you know, the first big thing against him for getting different roles was Star Trek because he did like seven seasons and four yeah. movies of that. And then he hopped right into X-Men. So he yeah. did that for a few movies. And then behind that, he had Shakespeare. So he had like these three different things. Yeah, he's had more of a diverse career than I guess people would think. And he's able to at this point still like play a a a hands down villainous character and be allowed that role without people saying like oh no you you have to play the hero you have to play the the starship captain you have to play this yeah so well, really, i think it takes a, a like a really good director to fight for yes to have the actor cast um you know out of type what did it's you, not easy was blue ruin his first film the director uh, no he made a film jeremy Saulnier made a film called uh, Murder Party, which I haven't seen. I think it's out there on DVD. Mm-hmm. And Blue Ruin is a second movie, but I think Blue Ruin is what started getting him attention, like yeah. critically and all that. And, and Blue Ruin, much like... Th- this one at least has a bit more of a, a a hero at the center of it for you to kind of hope... You know, like horror movie style, hope gets yeah, out but okay. The thing like, about this film is nobody's really competent. Right. I mean, <laughs> there's no real, like, hero. It's just two groups of people... <laughs> You know, yeah. in this like little war, this violent, you know, cat and mouse game. Yeah. But everyone's just screwing up left. Because in, in Blue Ruin, the main character is this guy trying to yeah. avenge his family. But right. he's, he's going about it in such a way where he's just screwing up left and right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, but yeah, this movie is, is 
I haven't heard anything bad about it. I haven't like from from mm-hmm. from the evil internet or from critics or anything. So. But like I said before, you're I, I don't know if your wife would be able to no, withstand this one. Gwen is banned. And, and, and I mean, hopefully, hopefully she can. But I tried to get her to see it, but but she loves Patrick Stewart. But I think she knows that it might be a little too scary for her. She's a bit of a sissy for horror films, but um, but yeah. So we'll see. But I'm I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that starts next, uh... Monday, I believe. Yeah, Monday, Monday June 8th, Yeah. We have that for three nights. Uh, we also have... Okay, so to, to switch gear, we have Lolo, which is the latest from Julie Delpy. Uh, she directed and stars in this film, and it's, a like, a family comedy. Yeah, I, I find she... Yeah, she, she has a very... It's interesting, because it, it's... Her film... This film, especially, is very French... But it almost has like a feel of like a New York middle aged comedy. Well, the, she directed a film called Two Days in New York, I think. Yes. With, or was it with Chris Rock? Or was it Two Days in Paris? It was. It was with Chris Rock. It was in New York. But I do forget the title as well. It was either Two Days in Paris. Yeah. I think it was Two Days in New York. <laughs> and and it, they were a couple. And and I found it was a very. Some people would take this as an insult or a compliment, but I find her very Woody Allen esque, just in the tone of her kind of character and that is okay like, that is it's 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 i can almost picture it with him in it 30 years ago i haven't seen any of her films like i've seen uh, i saw her in three colors white i've seen her in killing zoe and yeah in the uh before sunrise right. yeah trilogy whatever which which is excellent yeah she's really this kind of the uh the term of the triple threat because she's she's an oscar nominated writer because mm-hmm. Which is kind of a little bit weird because I think a lot of that movie was improv, but they had to get the the uh, the guidelines they were following down, kind of the outlines mm-hmm. for the before movie. So I think she was were the three of them nominated for two of those. I think two of the three of them. Yeah, and so she, Richard Linklater, Ethan Hawke, and, and her. Yeah, so she's got those, and then she's directing, and then she's acting, and she's done very well, and and so she and she's yeah, so she's a, she's very talented in a number of different uh, filmmaking uh, jobs. But so yeah, Lolo's, I, I, I guess you would call it like a middle-aged romantic comedy. Uh, it's, it's uh, she's a single woman with, a, I think, a teenage son who lives at home still, or mm-hmm. maybe a son in his 20s, gets a new boyfriend, and it's kind of a clash between uh, kid, mom's boyfriend, mm-hmm. and then the mom kind of stuck in the middle between them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we have that coming up. That's an Ottawa premiere. And another film of the of a similar kind of... This one's a little bit more than middle-aged romantic comedy, but Hello, My Name is Doris. With Sally Field. Sally Field. And this is one that I remember telling Lee about a little while ago because I heard about it on, I think, the Nerdist podcast because the, the director was on, uh, Michael Showalter. Mm-hmm. Who directed They Came Together. Which yes. was a big spoof of romantic comedies. Yes, and, and we screened that whenever that was, two years ago, a yeah. year ago. And if you haven't seen They Came Together, be careful if you are a fan of romantic comedies, because it kind of ruins romantic comedies. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, it does for romantic comedies what The Naked Gun did for, you know, comedies. Exactly, movies. yeah. And Very, you know, absurd, goofy and it, and, and spoof movie. That that's one with amongst other people. It's with Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just like a great comedian cast of supporting people around them. And I remember we screened another 
romantic comedy a few weeks after they came together. And it was so hilarious, like, that it, it did all the things just like in the spoof. Which I'm sure, like you said, if you watch Naked Gun, it does all the things just like in the real movie. Yeah. But, and he's also, Michael Showalter is part of the team that did um, Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. Both the movie and the TV and series. And the TV series. Uh, which is another, which is a cult classic. And what was the comedy, The State? The State, yeah. yeah. That, that was that comedy team that he was a part of. Yeah, and, and he's, he's done a bunch of, of ensemble stuff. Uh, he did another one with Michael Ian Black. Oh, what was it called? Stella. Yeah, I saw that show. That was, I really yeah. like that too. Him and uh, what was the third guy? David Wayne. David Wayne. Yeah, yeah, and uh, all of whom worked on Wet Hot American Summer. Actually, David, I think was David Wayne the one who directed. They came together. Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But, maybe. but those three guys. Those, they, yeah, they're they all together. Yeah. And I think in this one too. So this one is is Sally Field as a I think senior citizen who uh, falls in love, or it's a romance with Max Greenfield. Max Greenfield. Guy half her age. Guy half rage, yeah, and Max Greenfield is on the show New Girl, and I think is horribly talented, terribly talented, um, Hor- horribly, horribly talented. talented. That's that right? interesting. Superbly talented. He's so talented. He's it's so awful. talented. It's awful. Um, so he he's in in uh, Hello, my name is Doris as the the younger man, and it's so funny because again, I always think it's funny when people say comeback. Because a lot of people are saying, oh, this is Sally Field's big comeback. And I'm like, where'd she go? She didn't go anywhere. She... Well, I guess, you know, she's, st- she's still been working, but I guess this is her first lead in a while. Yeah. And uh, she won the Oscar, what, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. 30 years ago? Um, but yeah, so this is a, looks like a really good romantic comedy. Big fan of the director. So if you're a fan of Wet Hot American Summer, come check it out. Uh, I totally forget who, but there's a, bu- a bunch of the gang are in it. I-, I noticed on the IMDb page that a bunch of other comedians, kind of that circle of podcasters in Wet Hot American Summer Gang. Uh, Steven Root is in it. Yes. Uh, Kumali Nanjiani. Kumal Nanjiani. Um, who else? Yeah, I, th- I thought a couple of the other folks were in it. Um, Steven Root is really good. Steven Root's great, yeah. Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone. Uh, Kyle Mooney. Is a familiar name. I think he's yeah. stand up. And uh, the other film we have this week is Zootopia, Disney's Zootopia. Disney's that has Peter Mansbridge in it. I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember as, as that. the voice of Peter Moosebridge. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, this is it's it's got quite the resume behind it because it's from the directors of Tangled and Wreck It Ralph. Mm-hmm. So those two guys teamed up to do this. It's uh, it's been getting. It's one of those movies that there's there's no shortage of great reviews to find online to make use of when we're doing social media stuff. Right. Uh, a number of like four out of four ratings, you know, perfect ratings, that kind of thing. It's got a really great cast: uh, Jason Bateman and what's her name, Jennifer. I think it's pronounced Jennifer, Jennifer Goodwin. Goodwin who's kind of a TV actress for the most part. Yeah, she was on that show Big Love with Bill Paxton. Yes, she was great in that show, actually, yeah. And Jason Bateman, who's I think is pretty much great in everything he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And it, what I like about it is it looks... Like, it's, it's a CG cartoon. It's a modern cartoon. But it looks like a old-school cartoon. 
And I've even seen a couple like the behind the scenes things where it looked very hand drawn, kind of that. If you remember movies like Jungle Book, almost you could see the pencil sketches in it almost. And Zootopia, the opposite of something like like Tangled or like Frozen, it it has a bit more of that squash and stretch to it that traditional cartoons have. Like mm-hmm. like like it's 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 not kind of a realistic cartoon. Like in like in Frozen. You know, it's not like Warner Brothers, like, they can't fall off a building. It's kind of like a, a, a live-action movie that happens to be animated. Okay. And with Zootopia... So there's more, um, there's more rules that stick to... Um, cartoons? <laughs> cartoon, cartoon, yeah. yeah. I think. I haven't seen it, but just from what I've seen from the commercials and a bit of the kind of the... It, ha- it, ha- it, it has its own law of physics. Yeah, for being a Disney movie, it has a little bit of a... Like, it seems like Jason Bateman's character is a Bugs Bunny-type character. Like a like a troublemaker. Okay. Uh, uh, an, an anarchist. One of those kind of laid-back, cool, Warner Brothers-types characters. And, yeah, the one, the one review I, I posted on Facebook about it was like a 5 out of 5-star review from, from somebody. And so it's... it's uh, and it is a 2016 movie. So even though it's, it's really early, it will likely be nominated for Best Animated Picture... Mm-hmm like, a year from now, usually movies that they're thinking are going to get Oscar nominated, they kind of hold off hold off on a little while longer, so they're fresh in the voters' minds. But everyone's been saying that, much like every once in a while when a cartoon comes along, like Beauty and the Beast or Toy Story 3, that not, not only is it one of the best cartoons of the year, it's just one of the best movies of the year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that. I'm glad we got that. We always seem to get Disney films... Disney is is good with us. We we get Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, all these films, but we have like a very small window where even though video stores and stuff don't exist anymore, we kind of have this window between the multiplex giving up on the film and then it hitting iTunes or Amazon mm-hmm. or or you know, I don't even know if people buy Blu-rays at Best Buy anymore or anything like I that. I hope so. <laughs> but um but yeah, so looking forward to that one and that's Family Matinees this weekend. Uh, June 4th and 5th at 1 o'clock on uh, both of those days. And we should probably mention some premieres that are coming up that I don't think we've mentioned yet. Yeah. Uh, have we mentioned Raiders? The story of uh, the greatest so. fan film ever made. This is a documentary about... A couple of years ago, we showed the actual Raiders fan yeah. remake. How these, did we these... show that? Was he just... Was I he... guess there was a Blu-ray that or something. The, these kids in... Uh, I forget where they were from. But they made they remade Raiders in their backyard with a video camera. Yeah, and so this documentary like, is about the making of it. They were like what, like twelve in nineteen eighty one or something like yeah. that, or yeah, yeah. And you you watch this, it's it's fascinating. I don't know if I'd be curious to see if if they if that makes the rounds. Like if Raiders the documentary does really well with us, will we be able to play that again? I don't know if it's tied up in copyright stuff now, but we were able to screen that. Even though, like, God, now I guess it's copyright Disney, right? So that might even be a whole yeah. different thing. But it's a, it's a fascinating kind of... And it's not even a movie like, um, you know, like Dangerous Men. Because it's, it's, it's a fan film, but it's a feature-length fan film that a bunch of kids made over a number of years. Like, it took them a long time to get this thing done. But there's scenes in the movie, in the fan film movie, where they're like... They set fire to, like, their garage... And it's only cool because nobody died. <laughs> like, yeah. there's scenes in the movie and you're like, 
where are your parents? That's like, yeah, I, no, they, they were going all out and apparently it's quite impressive what they did with like, you know, a 50 cent budget and, and Spielberg saw it and he was impressed and he wanted to meet them. And, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what they shot on. Did they shoot on like VHS? I guess just VHS yeah. or Hi8 or whatever. But that, that plays on July 2nd to 5th. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, if, if, if you're not, even if you're not familiar with the story, if you're any kind of uh, either Indiana Jones fan or just fan of movies, it's a real kind of feel-good, uh, you know, I haven't seen this documentary yet, but the story is just such as feel-good, like kind of follow your dreams kind of, yeah. you can do it. But uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. And the cool thing about that is it has a painted poster that's really nice. There's so few nice posters nowadays. Yeah, yeah, it is a nice looking poster. But uh, Much yeah. like the original Raiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also have a documentary that looks excellent called How to Build a Time Machine. Yeah. that's I, We screened that filmmaker's uh, previous film, but I missed it. Uh, I just noticed on IMDb. Um, and it was kind of an acclaimed Canadian film. If I remember correctly, oh, which one, I'm blanking on it now. But I remember we screened his previous film and it was really good. Mm-hmm. But this is like a weird, like... I'm not familiar with this film at all, except for what I've read about it now that we've booked it, but it's a, it's a documentary. It's not a, a, a fictional film about time travel, but it's, I guess, the, the, the lead interview subject in the documentary is trying to figure out time travel. Yeah. Which, and then they, like... It, Be- oh, it's from the director of Beauty Day. Beauty Day. Okay, which, is, which is an excellent documentary. Which I have seen. Yes. Okay, so I did see that. It was great. And that caught my eye when I was looking it up on oh, IMDb. Cool. Yeah, so no, they in this movie, I think the premise is they they want to build a replica of the time machine from H.G. Wells's story. Right. And then there's some kind of like actual mathematics of figuring out actual yeah, time travel. Yeah, to actually pull it off. In there as well. Yeah. But yeah, I love stuff like that. So yeah, that's going to be cool. That's, that's coming up. When's that one coming up again? Uh, that is, I believe, June... Or no, July, July 16th. Cool. We have so, we're starting to get so late in the year already. I'm like, oh my God, we have movies booked for like August. Mm-hmm. So, so. Uh, I know another thing we haven't talked about yet is that in honor of Star Trek's 50th anniversary, we're doing, we, we only get to do these a couple times a year because they're, they're difficult and take up a lot of space and, you know, we want people to come out to them. Uh, we're doing a triple bill of Star Trek. Two, three, and four. Four, which is strange, but is... Because no one likes the first one. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and two, three, and four, it's like most people don't like the first one or the fifth one. So those three movies have kind of become, despite their... The classics. ...numerology, yeah. a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And they really are. like an, And, and for, for a trilogy of movies, much like Back to the Future or Star Wars, these three movies work really well back-to-back mm-hmm. because it's like... Like, I, I don't think this is a spoiler, but in part two, Spock dies. Part three, they get Spock back. And part four is them kind of getting the team back together and going on another adventure. Mm-hmm. Kind of like they would have done on the old TV show. Uh, but yeah, so, yeah, 50th anniversary. I don't know when the exact 50th anniversary is, but this... It just happened recently. Did right? it just happen? Yeah. Because so that's the 50th anniversary of the the... I guess, pilot of the TV show that Kirk oh, okay. wasn't even on right. going so, on. Some other guy. Yeah. Was it Jeffrey Hunter or something? It was the character. captain Kirk? Yeah. Like it was, it was, it was all different 
it wasn't even like one of those pilots where they like recast, like in, in A-Team where they recast the guy who was playing face. As and that happens guy. all the time. That happens all the time. This was actually kind of in canon that they just did like a second pilot. And for, I'm sure... And you can see that pilot. Yeah, oh yeah, somewhere. like it's it's out. Like I, I believe when, if you buy like the box set or on Blu-ray, I think it's on there mm-hmm. as episode zero or something. Mm-hmm. So they took they took Spock and they took the Enterprise and like the Federation and changed everything else and changed the cap. But in that first episode, that captain is still there. And in reboot universe, that captain is there as well. So it's still kind of there in canon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so two, three, and four are kind of, I, I had this idea, but it, I don't know if it would have worked as well of kind of do Star Trek six. Cause that's a nice standalone movie. Do Star Trek first contact. Cause that's a nice standalone mm-hmm. next generation movie. And then do JJ Star Trek number one. Right. Because it would be kind of serving Connecting three, all three of, different yeah. things. So, yeah, we kind of went with the, the trilogy instead. Yeah, and that's on August Saturday, August 13th. And we're gonna, we'll have our hot dog machine going so people mm-hmm. can get, get uh, cooked junk food along with our normal <laughs> candy bar junk food. Yeah. And we'll have uh, our, our treats from Little Joe Berries and maybe some other stuff. But we'll have that stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so keep an eye out for that. And if that goes well... Don't quote me on this, but we might do another Star Trek thing as well. But that only is going to happen if Star Trek Trilogy does super well. Yeah, so come out and see that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I think that about wraps us up for the week of June 3rd to 9th. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, what did I just, uh, I, I just downloaded a book, but I didn't look at it yet. It's uh, Colin Quinn's book. Oh, okay. The Coloring Book. Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, so The Coloring Book, uh, that's my... Haven't listened to it yet, but I'm sure I'm going to recommend it. There's an audio book of it? It's an audio book. Okay, so yeah. you can check that out on yeah. uh, audibletrial.com slash Podcast, and you can download that for free with a 30-day trial. Yeah, and go visit our friends at House of Targ and play Ghostbusters, which is awesome. Yeah, and visit <laughs> us online at mayfairtheater.ca and on Instagram, Twitter, all the Facebook. Medias. Yep, and until next time, we'll see you around. See you next week. Get more out of life. Go out to a movie.